Okay, let's uh, let's pray together, shall we? Let's uh, mark his, his word to us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read uh, these words that were inspired by you, that Paul wrote. And Lord, as he looks at his life, Lord, we see, we see, Lord, that, that he's, he's come to fully understand what life is all about. And we pray that we might. And we ask, Lord, for Mark as he brings these words to you. We pray that you will use him to speak to us through your word. Amen. 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 Thank you, Juliet, for reading. Thank you for your prayers. Andrew, good morning, everybody. Good, you're awake. It's always good to check you're awake before we open the word. Maybe I'll check again at the end. I don't know. It's a good passage we have uh, before us this morning. Uh, it's all about growing, and we'll get to it in a moment. Just to recap, as uh, Andrew said, we are now on the last of this mini-series in January through Philippians, taking most of Philippians, but not all of it. Uh, we had love in his church, we had praying, we had love in action, we had authentic relationships, and this week we have pressing on. For those listening online, we're in Philippians 3, verse 12 to 4, verse 1. Just some things to think about, about growing. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. I'll change the order because we'll go with the order I've put the slides in. I was fighting with PowerPoint this morning for lots of reasons. However, here is the passage as we read it. There's, there's four different things I just want to draw this morning out of the passage. Four um, areas that I've highlighted here. Um, mature. We'll talk about what it is to be mature this morning. Earthly things. We'll talk a little bit about the things that can distract us this morning. Following my example, says Paul, I'm going to round that up into something we call discipleship and pressing on, or as I've decided to call it this morning, finishing the task, heading towards the end. How are we going to grow as Christians? Here's some thoughts. Are you more spiritually mature now than a few years ago? These are rhetorical questions. I'm not expecting an answer. Is God working in your life and transforming you? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? And are you becoming more useful for God's purposes? I could have put many questions up on that screen. They're just a few that might just tug at your conscience a little, I don't know. But what we're looking at this morning is really our own personal growth. It's how do we mature as Christians and therefore become more like him so that we can be more useful to him. How do we measure growth? <laughs> I don't know if you... Uh, Realize this, but if you've got children, maybe you do. But when your children go to school, they are measured in a ridiculous number of ways. I say this as a school governor. You should see the data we have on every single child. I've got Linda back there nodding. Every six weeks or so, we will assess every single child's progress. 
it is a challenge. I wonder sometimes when we're spending too much time assessing and not enough time actually teaching. It seems that everybody has to be above average. I've decided over the time that those in government that decide this fact are also those that when you get to the average speed check on the motorway, slow down at the cameras. There is a little understanding of average that we don't seem to grasp. But actually what we try and do, what teachers try and do, is they try and understand where an individual is, where that individual child is in their learning, and they try and put in a program and a plan that allows them to grow in that learning so that in six weeks' time when we assess them again, that we can see growth, that we can see that they're making progress. So let's do a little bit of an assessment this morning of our lives. Perhaps we haven't done this for a while, maybe not in the last six weeks. Considered, how are we in our relationship with Jesus? Are we growing? Are we moving forward? That's a challenge. When I was first a Christian, when I first used to look ahead, when I first understood that was, there was more than just saying, yes, I'm following Jesus, there's a, there's a bit more to this. I've, I've got to learn and understand and grow. I kind of had the understanding that, you know, after a short while, I might sort of attain a reasonable amount of growth and that it would be easy going from there on in. I might have, uh, you know, have attained a reasonable amount in the, I don't know, the first five years of being a Christian. Actually, as I've uh, been a Christian for a number of years, I can now tell you that I always know that there's so much more ahead of us than behind us. There's, we, should not, we should not sit back and go, I've arrived. Paul didn't, so neither should we. God is at work in our lives. Romans 8. And we know that in all, thing, God, all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God wants to be the purpose for your life. God wants you to grow. He wants you to understand that there is so much more. Philippians 2, a verse that somebody pointed out this week, we kind of overlooked as we were working through our passages. We didn't really do Philippians 2. But Philippians 2 verse 13 is an absolute nugget of a verse. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is about using you to do his work. And in doing his work, you will grow. You will more, become more mature in him. Just before the passage that um, we had read to us, so from verse 10 of uh, Philippians 3, Paul had presented to the Philippians his personal focus and goal of sp spiritual perfection. However, Paul does not regard his goal as something that is only for some Christians, perhaps just him and the apostles. No. Spiritual maturity and perfection was and is for all of us, all Christians. This isn't something we can leave behind. The word perfect or mature, as it's here in verses uh, 12 and 15, it means to be full grown. It means to be distinct from the undevelopment, the undeveloped. For example, it is used of a fully grown adult as opposed to 
and undeveloped youth. It's used in the Bible to be talking about being mature in our mind, qualified in a subject, as opposed to someone who is still learning. Are we mature? It's quite a challenge. But here's the point. We can't just sit back and go, well, that's not for me. Paul seems to graciously allow for some of the Philippians who have different views, believing that God would in time reveal to them the truth of Paul's position. Perhaps some thought that it was not worth the effort, or that they had already attained some form of perfection. Whatever their view, Paul says, verse 16, to keep living according to whatever level of maturity they have reached. The point is this, we need to go forward, not backwards. So as you think about yourself this morning, as you perhaps think about those those questions we had on the screen, think about this. How are you going to make progress? How are you going to be pressing on? How are we going to ensure that we continue to grow as Christians? That brings us on to the second area. And that's the area that Paul mentions as earthly things. As Christians, if we want to grow, we need to be looking up and not down. Paul, in this passage, reveals a passionate pastoral heart for the Philippians. Verses 18 and 19, he weeps over those who were once following Jesus Christ but now indulge their appetite for ungodly earthly pleasures. We need to look up. We need to have an eternal perspective. We need to be thinking ahead to where we are headed in eternity. If we're to be a disciple of Jesus and pursuing that spiritual perfection that Jesus desires in our hearts, then we need to be having an internal mindset. I'm going to be showing you a number of verses, and if you're taking notes, you might just want to write them down. I set it down this morning. I jotted them up. I'm going to be mentioning 25 or more passages in the New Testament this morning. We can't possibly look at them all in detail, but they're all about growing. They're all about discipleship, and they're pretty much mostly Paul's words. It shows how passionate he is as an individual that we should be growing as Christians. Let me just give you some more. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says to Romans. Chapter 12, verse 2. So we should fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18. And then in Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. We need to have an eternal perspective and that perspective should be focused on things above and not things that drag us down on the earth. It's what we all call disciple making. Discipleship or disciple making is God's main method for both bringing people into his kingdom and nurturing them once they're part of his kingdom. 
Discipleship is not about believing certain doctrines. It's spending time with a mature believer and observing. The writer of the Hebrews says, two places here, Hebrews 6, to imitate the faith of diligent Christians. Hebrews 13, to imitate the faith of godly leaders. Paul didn't just provide words for his believers to follow. He gave himself as a practical example to follow. Nevertheless, actually, Paul always uh, pointed his uh, disciples to Jesus. It wasn't about following Paul. It was following Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul writes, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul was continually walking closely with Jesus Christ, and at the same time was constantly leading people to follow Jesus Christ. This is the essence of true discipleship. Who are we following? Who as Christians do we look towards to give us a good example? Flip that around. As Christians who are setting a good example, who are we setting that example to? If you're parents, that might be your children. If you're community group leaders, there's a challenge. If you're in leadership of church or leadership anywhere, there is a challenge. Are we setting a good example for others to follow? Because we have the word, and we can preach the word, we can talk about the word, but actually it's how we work that out in our everyday living that counts. If you want to see how people learn, look at children. You've all, if, you've, if you've got children and you've had those embarrassing moments where the child says something and you realize, oh yeah, that's me. They copy. They soak up what you do, your mannerisms, the way you say things, your beliefs sometimes. Children do that. As children of Christ, we need to be setting a good example not just to the young children, but to the adults. It doesn't matter what level of maturity we're dealing with here. We need to be setting a good example. But in the same way, we need to be looking to those that are setting a good example so that we have something to model and something to follow. There's a continuous succession of discipleship making from the time of Jesus' first disciples, from the point on where he says in Matthew 2, 28, go and make disciples. And Paul is committed to this as a process and he understood, it, he understood it as a process. This process of succession. Let me just show you a dozen more verses. You can, I'll leave them on the screen for a while. You can note them down. But You read Corinthians. You read the letters to Philippians. You read the letters to Timothy, to the Thessalonians. All the way through them, you'll see Paul building people up and saying, follow my example. This is what we should be about. The idea of succession is there. We see this um, clearly with Timothy, and who's one of Paul's disciples, who was charged with making more disciples. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 5 to 7, Paul wrote, how he and possibly also Silas and Timothy had lived among the Thessalonians, had been examples to them, and now the Thessalonians 
were in turn examples to others. Paul got this process. This is the process that we also need to get and follow. Do you know, if we do not disciple, if we do not teach well, we will end up with a church that's full of unrepentant, lazy and ill-informed people. I hope we're not there. Moreover, thousands will not hear the gospel. Because the whole point is, as we grow more in an understanding with Christ, as we understand what God has in his purposes for us, guess what? Matthew 28 comes back in. Go make disciples. So we ourselves should be going out and reaching the lost, talking to our neighbours and our friends, having the opportunities that God puts before us. And that is a challenge to us all. How do we finish this task? How do we... uh, How do we grasp hold of the hope in the promises of God that are for us? How do we stop being pessimistic, perhaps you're pessimistic, letting your insecurities get in the way? How do we feel about this whole issue of growing? How do we feel about this whole issue of discipling others? What motivates us? Is this, I mean, this task, do you see it as a task? Or do you see it as something that is really part of your heart? I pray that, uh, that God will put this on our hearts. Maybe you're frightened. Maybe you have doubts. I don't know. But we need to live our lives with an eternal perspective. We need to understand what it is every single day to be going out and saying, what is it today, Lord, you have as your purposes for me in my life that I may serve you and your purposes for the lives of those around me. You may have noticed I was teasing you. There's been a little number on the screen every now and then. That's not the number of slides we've got this morning. Let me make it bigger. 11,816. 11,816 days ago, I became a Christian. It was the 14th of June, 1984. It was in Quee Park Rangers Football Stadium. They had the AstroTurf pitch. It was a big new thing. I don't know whether, as I was walking down, I can remember thinking, am I going down to see what this AstroTurf is like? Or have I really understood a call on my life? It was a Louis Plough mission in London. Yeah, some of you are going, remember that. That's when I made a decision. Actually, I knew once I got there, it was the right thing. Certain things happened. I met a person that I never knew existed, but he knew of me. (laughs) It was God's way of confirming that that was the right time and the right decision. But here's the challenge. 11,816 days. What have I done with 11,816 days? What am I going to do with the 11,817th day? Or 18th day? Or 19th day? What I don't know, of course, is what number that gets to. How far up it gets to. 
I know it's about three quarters, no, two thirds of my life so far. Given another ten years, it'll be about three quarters of my life. What am I doing with my life from the point of view of the eternal perspective? What number will it be when I find myself standing before God and given an account of my days? Because between here and eternity, there will be a moment when we first meet him face to face. just want to pick up on a word that was in our passage, and that word is enemies. Enemies of Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like if you're standing before God on the judgment day as an enemy of Christ? We just look at a verse in Romans for a moment. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Romans 2, verse 5. Do you want to be standing in front of God as an enemy? Now, I don't know who's here this morning. I don't know whether we are all Christians, and I this moment just say, if you find yourself in that position right now where you're perhaps an enemy of God, do not let that go past today. Speak to one of us afterwards about it. That verse I've just read talks about God's wrath. There's a lot of people that do not believe that a God of love can also be a God of wrath. I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. It's what it says. We will get to a day when we will meet judgment. We will get to a day when we will have to come before God and give an account. Are we relying on earthly things? Do you know there's a lot of people in this world that tell us a lot of different things. They say things as truth And it may be that a lot of people believe them. But it doesn't matter if somebody says something that they believe to be true and the whole world also believes it to be true. Unless it's true in the Bible, unless it's here and truthful according to God, then it is a lie. They are contradicting God. Look at another verse in Romans. I'm sharing this with you and sharing Romans with you simply because we need to underpin our faith in the word of God. If we are to grow, we need this as our foundation. Let me read Romans 5 and verse 10. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, should we be saved through his life? Is that real for you? Is this the foundation you're basing your life on? Or are you just living a good life? Living a life that is doing the right things. Being nice to people. Let me read you another verse in Romans. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole 
world held accountable to God. Romans 3, verse 19. What that says is law doesn't bring righteousness, but it does say how justice will be served when we meet Almighty God. But then comes Jesus. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? How are you going to live? Day number for me, 11,817. In light of what this word tells us. In light of what God has given to you. How are you going to ensure that you grow in Christ? To be quite honest, as leaders of this church, we have a responsibility to ensure that you are growing. We do that by teaching from the word. We're looking at ways that... um, doing other teaching both in the evenings and things like the Joshua Project. We're giving you opportunities to learn. But do you know what? It's your responsibility too. If you want to grow in Christ, you've got to do something about it. Because it doesn't matter how attractive we make a seminar or how wonderful we make a church weekend. Actually, you as individuals have got to have a passion in your heart to understand and know what God's purposes are for you and want to grow into that. We cannot give you a heart for this. Only God can. And that's what I'm going to pray for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look back at what you have done for us over the number of how many days it's been, Lord, we are thankful for what you have done for us. Lord, we're thankful for what you have done in sending Christ to die for us. So that, Lord, not only will we be able to stand before you and know that we are saved, but, Lord, that 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 opportunity can be extended to others as well. Father, I pray that you will work in our hearts Lord, give us a real understanding of your purposes for us, both as a church and as individuals. Help us, Lord, to understand how you want to see us grow. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes lifted up. Help us, Lord, to be living with an eye on eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.